I'm going to ask you a question and just begin to reflect on this in your own life. Did you know that there has never, ever been somebody like you before? Think about that for a moment. It may seem blatantly obvious, but think about the impact of that, that there has never been somebody like you before. And again, that's not a testament to you, but that's actually a testament to the God who created you. But the implications that there has never been someone like you before, the implications of that are gigantic. They're huge. Nobody can take your place. Nobody can do what you do the way that you do it. There's only you, and that's a heavenly perspective. It's a biblical perspective. God tells us, he refers to us as a masterpiece, as one of a kind. God tells us that everybody is invaluable and irreplaceable. There's only one you. And when it comes to a time of worship, when we sing worship songs, we can sing a a powerful song like, like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. When we sing that song, we may be all singing the exact same words, but each of us are singing from a very different perspective. Each of us can be saying the same words, but we're singing a very different song to God. Why? Because when we sing it, you are singing from that unique and personal experience of God's faithfulness in your life. When you declare those words, God, how great is your faithfulness, you're singing from a perspective that's unique to you, whether it be battling an addiction or dealing with anxiety or depression, or maybe you went through marital issues and you've overcome, or maybe you lost a job, or maybe you've gone through tough times when you've lost someone who's, who you loved or, or someone was, went sick, or maybe when you sing those words, God, how great is your faithfulness, your mind is focusing on your experiences and how God has gotten you through. Maybe it's the, it's the redemption that you experienced, or maybe it's the freedom that God has, has you've had in your life. Maybe it's, it's, he's gotten you through tough, tough times. Whatever it is, you are singing a very different song from anyone else in that moment. Your greatest thy faithfulness is very different from someone else's. And when it comes to worship, our audience is not people, Amen. Our audience is God. When we come here, you're not the audience, and the worship team is not spectators, and, and, and vice versa. We are all together worshiping, and our only audience that we need to be concerned about when we sing is God. He is our audience, and the truth is that if we don't sing on a Sunday morning, people will not necessarily miss our voice. If we don't sing, people may not miss your voice, but the truth is God will that you literally sing praise that is irreplaceable, that it cannot be duplicated. So even during the midst of a time like this COVID stuff that we're going through, maybe you're not able to sing on a Sunday morning in this building. Maybe you're not able to be grouped together and sing in this, in this time, but please make sure during this time that you are still singing. Make sure that during this time when we're going through a pandemic and all of the situations that we are still worshiping outside of these walls, outside of this place. Nobody can stop you from singing in your car. I've pulled up to stoplights and people have loud music going beside and you look at them and you know they're singing in their car, right? Nobody can stop you from worshiping God in your car. No one can stop you from worshiping God at home. Nobody can stop you from singing in the shower or singing in any other place. We should be singers and declarers and worshipers. 
Let's make sure that during this time of COVID, we, we use it to our advantage. We don't just shut down. And we don't just hide away, but we actually use it to re-examine how and when and where we worship God. Because the truth is that worship matters. That's why Pastor Roy has done this series. That's why he's focusing in on this for so many weeks. Because worship matters. Singing praise, declaring God's goodness, it's so important. And that's why we oftentimes, when you look at how we, as in our North American culture, how we structure our Sunday services, the majority of our services are surrounded around singing, right? The majority of what we do is we, spend, we devote the most time in our services to worshiping in the sense of singing and declaring praise. There's not really that much. There's a whole industry now around worship music. There's really not much other things that we as Christians commit as much time and energy to as singing and worship. Uh, maybe, maybe eating, maybe fellowship, but worship and singing is right up there. We definitely know that reading God's word and praying, we don't do that as much as we do singing. We love singing. Worship matters, and we were made to worship. And worship is not just re- reserved for Christians. We need to understand this. Worship is not just a Christian concept. It's not just something we may emphasize it more and we may talk about it, but every person who is ever born, Christian, non-Christian, they were born as a worshiper. We are all worshipers in this world. It's, It's not a question of being a worshiper or not being a worshiper, but the question actually is, what do you worship? Or who do you worship? Every person in this world, every person here in this community of Arthur is a worshiper. They worship something or someone. So the question is, what is it? Do you worship God? Do you worship fame or status or celebrity? Do you worship pleasure? Do you worship maybe yourself? So this morning, who or what is your God? To worship something means to literally attribute or give worth or value to an object or a person. So what is the most valuable thing in your life? What is the thing that means the most to you or, or you attribute the most worth to in your life? And I'll argue with you that that's probably what you worship. We all worship something. To worship God is to give worth in accordance with who he is. We know God is good, so we sing about how good he is. And we attribute worth to him. So biblical worship to God means that it, to look outside of the church and it actually includes our whole life. It means that we're not just displaying how important God is to us on Sunday mornings, but in every single context. That's what true biblical worship is. It's not just Sunday morning declaring it, but it's every day in every context. There's a great verse, I'm sure it'll be shared outside of this message this morning, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Talking about devoting our whole lives in worship to God, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, or lovely, or admirable, whatever, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Biblical worship is not just a song on a Sunday, but biblical worship is also our motives on a Monday. 
It's what happens when we leave this place. It's what's going to happen tomorrow. What's your motives tomorrow? It's a lifestyle. Corporate worship, worshiping together in a formal setting. What we, we are lacking here this morning, what we're not necessarily permitted to do, that's only one aspect of true worship to God. Amen? It's something we love doing, but it really is such a small, it's a great part. It's not a, a, a small part, but it's not all of it. We can worship outside of that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, 9, and 12 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Light. Verse 12, live such good lives among pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Biblical worship is directly related to how we live our lives on a daily basis. That's what it's connected to. It's a, worship is a lifestyle. Biblical worship, it is a lived response to how good God is. It's the fact that God is so good, and because he's so good, I'm going to respond in my life and in my actions, in my words, and in my motives in a way that he deserves, in a way that is worthy of him. It's making our whole lives about us. And reality is, worship has nothing to do with us. Worship is actually not about us at all. It's really not about the style music we like. We've, we've narrowed it down to this in our culture, right? And I know that I'm guilt touched by an angel, right? <laughs> we've narrowed it down in our culture like that, right? We have narrowed it down to, well, I like this worship. I don't like this worship. Worship, true is, worship is not about us at all. It's not about the style of music of like, it's actually the complete opposite of that. True biblical worship is actually the pouring out and emptying of ourselves. And worship is not about us, it is about Jesus. And we know in a church that's multi-generational, and we, our church in Kitchener had that, and our, my church that we were in in Elmira had that, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a picture of the church. But there is different generations that have connections to different songs. And music just naturally triggers memories and feelings that we have. So in the context of church, when music is always involved, and thank God for it, in, in our prayer times, in our altar moments, when in our youth services or a kids' church or adult services or they go away to a retreat, music is always involved in these significant moments. So we have these memories that are tied to certain songs and certain music, and they're forever linked. And it almost, it almost seems that moments are easier to enter into worship if that kind of music or that genre or that era of music is played. I personally am 33, so I grew up in the, the Hillsong United era, and I know that my, my wife got saved at a Hillsong United concert. So when, a song, when some of those songs come on, it's like, I'm there. Like, I don't have to get spiritually primed. Like, God, I'm there. I'm ready to enter in. Where maybe some of the newer music, I don't know all the words, or I don't, I'm not necessarily comfortable, and there's not necessarily significance or memory to it for me. And so maybe it is a little bit harder, but there's certain 
songs that we have that as soon as it's song, it's like Jesus is here, right? And we know we've all kind of experienced that. And in other generations, they don't feel that with certain songs. And, and they may listen to a hymn and not think there's any significance to it. Well, certain people got saved on those things. And those are, you know, there's all these different um, experiences with different music. But the truth is that as the church and as worshipers of Jesus Christ, we will never be able to worship in spirit, in truth, when we have linear eyes through the lens only through our favorite music. I appreciate and love hymns. I think hymns are beautiful, and I, and I, I use them in my devotions, and I love to sing them. I love to sing the stuff that I grew up with, and I do appreciate some of the newer music that is coming out today. But we will never be able to worship in spirit and truth when we still believe that my favorite type of worship is also God's favorite type of worship. Amen? And it's not a new argument. To have this argument maybe around music or style or genre or any of that stuff today, is not, it's not a new argument. It's been happening for a long time all throughout history. A.W. Tozer has this quote, and he says, how many times have we missed out on God's blessing because they're not, how many times have we missed out on God's blessings because they are not packaged the way that we prefer them? The point isn't the song. The point is the Savior. Amen? And that's the same for young people listening to hymns, appreciate hymns, because the point is not the song, the style, or how it's played, whether it's on an organ piano or if there's no background or whatever. The, song, the point is not the song, it is the Savior. And the same goes for, for an older generation who connects with hymns with younger things. Listen to the words and, and dive into it. The point is Jesus, amen? It's about loving God. It's about getting close. It's about declaring and demonstrating our love for God. <clears throat> it's not about us. It's about Him. And one of those ways to demonstrate our love for God is to sing. It is to worship by declaring. Uh, but that is just one of many. And we get so caught up with that. And oftentimes, we just, oftentimes we stop there. That I sang the song and I don't have to necessarily worship in any other way or with any other depth. But we can see an example of what it truly means to worship or truly love Jesus when we look in the Bible at John chapter 21. We're going to focus there for a little bit. If you have a Bible, you can look there. <clears throat> John chapter 21, we see this guy named Jesus, very, very important person in the Bible. And uh, he is sitting with his disciples and eating food. Jesus loves to eat food. Jesus was always breaking bread and sitting down and connecting and building relationship. So you see in John chapter 21, Jesus is sitting there and he's eating with his disciples. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is with his disciples and he addresses Peter. Now when I read, read scripture and when I read through the disciples, I feel like I can connect with Peter well, and maybe some of you here can relate, but I see Peter, Peter's a screw up. He's, he's always dropping the ball. He's always falling short. He's always overemphasizing or underemphasizing, and I always feel like I'm connected with Peter, the person of Peter. And here Jesus addresses Peter, Peter before, before he met Jesus, he was just this uneducated fisherman, um, and he was always seeming to get things wrong. He tried to walk on water, but he sank because he was afraid and he had doubt. I've been there. 
He was the disciple that Jesus called out the most. And Jesus says to him, Satan, get behind me in Mark chapter 8, verse 33. And Peter's the guy who attacked the high priest's servant, that young boy in the garden of Gethsemane and pulled Jesus off him. And, and then Peter's also the guy who denies Jesus, falls short, falls to peer pressure, and again is afraid and has doubt and denies Jesus three times before the trial. This is Peter. So we see in John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17, that after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. So Jesus told him, then feed my sheep. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus looked at him and said, then feed my sheep. I think Jesus wanted Peter to feed his sheep. What do you think? You think he's trying to drive home a point? You think he's just, he's trying to emphasize this to Peter? As a kid growing up, my mom would always think that I had hearing issues. She always thought that I had hearing impairment. She would call me from long distance away. She would shout my name and it would take three or four times before I would actually respond. And so she actually went and took me to the doctor to get me checked out to see if I had hearing issues. And it turned out my ears were perfectly fine. I just didn't want to listen to her. I had what my mom called selective hearing, right? Some husbands have that in this room, amen? And I think Peter suffered from this, and that's why Jesus was driving it home to him and saying, feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. Jesus sits with him and looks him in the eye and emphasizes it over and over again, three times in three different ways, feed my sheep. That's how you will show that you love me, Peter. By feed my sheep, Jesus means to disciple and serve the people around us. One of the most powerful ways that we as Christians can illustrate and proclaim our love for God, yes, to declare with our voice, yes, declare with song, but another way is to serve the people around us, to feed Jesus' flock. We can worship by serving, by investing in the lives of the people around us. Jesus says, love and care for my sheep, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the broken, the outcast, the lost, and the hurting. As a church and as individuals, we are called to feed Jesus' sheep. We are called to disciple and serve the people around us. We are called to live a godly life and to invite those with, around us into that life. And we're not meant to go through this life on our own, but we're supposed to invite sheep with us and we're to shepherd them and go through this life together. Your flock this morning, who is your flock? Who is the sheep that God has placed around you? Oftentimes it's your children. Oftentimes it's your coworkers. Oftentimes it's your neighbors or other church family who are sitting here this morning or may, may may not be here this morning. And the truth is, again, you are unique. Nobody has the exact same type of influence in their lives as you do this morning. 
And that's not a credit to you, but to the God who created you. Amen? As I begin to close this morning, I want to leave you just with two thoughts. Worshiping God by serving others. We will worship God by serving, and it always revolves not around us, but it always will revolve around people. Specifically, how we can make the world a better place is by serving other people. That's whether it's one-on-one, mentoring, discipling, encouraging. Be a cheerleader this morning. See something good that someone is doing and just cheer them on and just encourage them. We can serve people by even behind the scenes. Maybe you, you are shy or maybe you don't feel comfortable you know, building that relationship or being vocal. Volunteer. Pick up trash on the side of the road. Begin to serve in any way possible behind the scenes. I'm sure there's hospitality things. You can drop off meals at people's homes in your community who are maybe isolated because of this pandemic. There's so many ways. And if you want to know, you can talk to Pastor Justin or, or any of your other leaders in the church and they will find opportunities for you. But worship by serving always revolves around people. And secondly, this morning, worshiping by serving is never about us. It's never about you. Worship and serving is never about promoting ourselves. Even as a church, if we do something good in the community, it's never to try to bring credit and honor or or promotion to us, but it's to bring glory and honor to God. Achieving, it's never about achieving greater fame or fortune or experiencing more pleasure or comfort. When we serve, it's never about gaining or accumulating more power or status. We know in culture, in whether you look at business models or different companies around, serving or humanitarian efforts is a popular thing. But it always comes with this agenda that it's to create more business. It's to get more people in. That's, that's not our mission and that's not our goal. As a church, it's not to gain or accumulate more power or status. It's to worship God by serving other people. We, are called, we, we were created to use the resources that God has given us. You have skills this morning. You have relationships, you have experience, some of you have money or some of you have extra time, some of you have intelligence or creativity and all the rest of these skills and resources that God has given you to make a positive impact on the lives of others and it's always about serving other people. And Jesus modeled this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus loved people by serving them. And it's so appropriate that Pastor Justin is going to lead us in communion this morning. But Jesus loved people by serving them. It's always about serving other people because God loves people and God is not interested in our bigness as individuals or as a church or as a ministry. God is not interested in our wealth or our popularity or our status. Jesus is interested only in our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. That's what he cares about, that we are discipling people, that we're investing in people, that we are growing the kingdom through worshiping and serving other people. Jesus said this, 
when Jesus was cornered by religious people and he said in Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God. When he's cornered by these people, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second one is equally as great. Love your neighbor as yourself. And oftentimes we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love God. But Jesus actually said loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor is just as important and, and is just as, as close as loving God. And I would argue this morning that the best way that we can love God, yes, declare the praises, but love your neighbor. That we can show God, I love you. What, even if your neighbor is unlovable, love them. And by doing that, you're not even benefiting necessarily them, yourself, but you are showing God, I love you, and I'm going to love them the best that I can, even though it's hard to sometimes. Love is not words, love is action. Anyone who's been married, anybody who's maybe been a parent or been in a relationship, you know that. Talk is cheap. Talk is fluff. Don't say, but do. Love is not Love is not words, it is action. Love is commitment, it's not a feeling. And that's how Christ has called us to love people, to serve them. You can, we can say we love the community. We can say we love our neighbors. Show people, do it. And that's the hard part, right? Where we actually, our worship costs us something that we're actually, okay, now I gotta do this. Now I have to actually talk to my neighbor and care about their issues or try to help them in any way I can. But that's what Jesus has called us to do. And he illustrated that for us, how to serve people by laying his life down for us. We as the church are God's plan. God's purpose for our lives is to live an outwardly focused life that it's not worried about ourselves, but it's focused on the needs of others. Jesus said, put other people's needs and concerns above your own. Jesus said, serve these people. We may think that to try to serve somebody, you may think, I don't have any skills. I'm not musical. I'm not articulate. I'm not smart or I don't have money or I don't have time. You may think you're unqualified to help other people. You may think this morning your life is a mess But I want you to know, as I just finish with this, that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. You are called. You're called to serve. We are all called. We are all gifted. We all have the Holy Spirit inside of us that we are commissioned to go out and reach the world, make disciples. It doesn't take a person who has unusual training or unusual gifted ability to change The world, all it takes is a heart that cares, a mind that is determined, a willing spirit, a cause worth fighting for, and a person to help. There's a quote that a a pastor who is a mentor of mine has said, and he says, we are not called to change a city or a town, but we are called to serve it. If we serve it well, God will change it. Amen? We are called as the church, a group of people, the body of Christ. We are called not so that we can build a great building. We are called as the church not so that we can build a great giant ministry and say, look at us, and this is all the stuff we had. God has brought you here not to build a great church, but to build great people. And if we focus on building great people, then God will focus on building a great church. And I believe that that's Pastor Roy's heart. I know that that's Pastor Roy's heart. As we've connected and talked, I can feel that and he's expressed that. 
So that's what I just want to leave you with this morning. Let's serve people. Let's serve God and love God by serving other people. Amen.